welcome to the 60th episode of Everyday Turtle. With me tonight are two European Legacy All-Stars, I want to say. Two people that I've spent a lot of time with playing Legacy, learning Legacy. And in the case of actually both of them, also traveling all around the world. Yeah, having fun getting into Legacy in the first place. So, our first guest tonight, we got from Denmark, Mr. Mark Barra-König. Hey Mark, how's it going? Hello, I'm good. For those of you who don't know Mark, um, he, I want to say, was one of the very, very, very first Legacy or Magic streamers on Twitch around 2013. I, I don't know if you even started in 2012, but when I got into, into streaming, you are already uh, one of the most established and accomplished names. I would assume that most of our, our listeners know who you are. But for those who don't, Mark is not only a successful streamer, he also made, uh, let me let me check my cheat sheet. He's got six Legacy Challenges top eights, I think three of them in a row recently, one win. He also won SEG Richmond in 2014, which I was present for, which was like a really, really cool thing that happened. And he's all around just known as, can, can I call you like a Legacy Juggernaut? I'm, I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> Our second guest tonight from Germany, Marius, Marius of the Moon Hausmann. Marius is one of the legacy players uh, or magic players I've known for the longest of times. When I got into legacy in 2005, 2006, actually, uh, he was already there in Munich and bossing the meta game. He was pretty much the end boss of our local meta game. And from his accomplishment lists, we know that he made four MKM top eights, including one win. He was also the German Legacy Champion 2011, and he's got various top eights uh, legacy tournaments all around Europe, like Ovino Gedon and a couple more, as well as in Magic Online, actually. So, Marius, how's it going? Hi, Julian. Yeah, quite well. Oh, great. Great to have you guys on. Um, we don't, we, tonight, we don't have Bob or Eric, who are pretty busy. And uh, especially with regards to Eric, now that he's gotten into full-time streaming, it's actually kind of hard to schedule sessions with him. So from what I understand, we will still have Eric on every once in a while. But this is, this is um, something that's probably going to be some special feature going forward. But yeah, for tonight, what we want to talk about Basically, both of you guys are known for your signature deck, which is Death in Texas, even though I know that one of you doesn't really see it like that anymore. But that's basically why you are on. Um, the community has been pretty torn on their opinion of Death in Texas, so we want to discuss that. But before we get into that, Mark, you uh, actually went into a different format and did pretty well with it. So what happened? I played the Vintage Challenge this weekend and uh, I made second place. What did you play? I played Dredge. <laughs> you say that like, of course I played Dredge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is the deck good? The deck is really good. It's pretty much broken in Vintage right now. The power level of Dredge just uh, searched and went through the roof recently with the with Modern Horizons. Which cards exactly made, made, made that big difference? Uh, Force of Negation, a little bit, I would say. Like, it's not completely necessary, but Force of Vega really was a big, big player. Uh, Hogak also impact, but Force of Vega let the deck go mannerless, which was a really big deal because it allowed the deck to to fill get filled up with counter spells and and answers to hate while still remaining the still playing the powerful dredge engine. Yeah, you, you called it tier zero to me, or even tier minus one. And a couple of other people I talked to, they feel the same about the deck. So. Is, is this the new meta going forward? Like, what, what are actually the bad matchups left for you? I, um, and I'm also asking because we got the MKM Frankfurt tournament coming up next month. And Tom the Decker from Belgium offered me to basically 
be able to borrow a couple of cards or the entire power nine from him so i can actually play vintage there uh, but yeah from everything you told me it's it's gonna be a slaughter fest it's gonna be like dredge all over the place i don't know what, what should i be playing if i want to be dredge <laughs> i don't know <laughs> how do you how do you beat this deck it, it has like 12 counter spells and uh, and at turn two turn three kill so I was hoping you would tell me I would play uh, TPS, the perfect storm, and just win on the first turn. But if it plays Triumph Counters best, that would be like Force of Elemental Misstep, Mindback Trap, or Force of Negation? Yeah, or Force of Negation. Like sometimes they play, you can even play four Mindback Trap, four Force of Will, four Missteps, and some Force of Negation. I played without Force of Negation and Mindback Trap because I was trying to beat the mirror, basically. And I lost to Storm in the finals, but it was... It was pretty unlikely, I would say. Like, I mean, he was in really tough positions both games and uh, managed to to still win. But I think it's a really, really hard matchup still for DPS. Oh. Uh, and do, do you not even mind, for example, being on the draw against um, against workshops? I guess the first game against workshops is already pretty good, and then you just gotta win one of the postbot games. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> it's a really, really good matchup. I played against several mud decks on the way to the top eight and it was just yeah it they had to have so many hate pieces and then they had to lock me behind a sphere and and even i beat a sphere because i play three mana producing lands in the list and it's it's just impossible for them to win three ga- uh, two out of three games and you still get to dig for for your mana producing lands using work- uh, using workshop right there that would be broken uh, using bazaar yeah exactly so so going forward is, is this the end game for vintage or is there is there anything you you see happening in the future like maybe even like what do you even restrict right you you can't really restrict bazaar i don't know exactly some people said they that you should restrict uh hollow one and i i don't think that's impactful enough that's a four of sideboard card but and it helps beat some hate sometimes but it's just it's not a big deal like if you really want to nerf Dredge, you should restrict Force of Vega because it it just the, the because it doesn't have to play Nature's Claim or anything like that, like Wismare or or uh, what's the destroy artifact called? Ingotur. Ingotur. Gusblockzerkauer in German. Yeah, <laughs> so that's a nice one. <laughs> you don't need to play Mana Confluence or Gemstone, whatever lands. You just play four bazaars and then maybe I played two petrified fields and one strip mine for the mirror basically the strip mine was for the mirror and the petrified field was just versus waste and decks and yeah it was it was only the mirror that i was worried about i played four leyline of the void main deck and <laughs> even even people are starting to put force of vega in the main deck because they're trying to beat main deck leylines okay that sounds really wild that's where we are in the meta right now we're just like trying to beat the next next level so maybe it's time for some mm, for some fish deck to come in to play cavern of souls and and scavenging ooze <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> elves playing scavenging ooze producing a ton of mana maybe well, that's the next step i don't think that's nearly fast enough and it also doesn't really beat force of will or mm. misstep <laughs> so i mean the the best deck right now to beat it's some deck that plays for containment priest and probably ley lines as well oh that's a good one right containment priest is actually pretty hard for you to answer i would think you've got force of Hell and that's it no i also have uh contamination in the sideboard oh okay and you you can also sometimes just hollow bond them right exactly and that was one game where my opponent went turn one death right shaman and yixit jailer 
And then I, I just contamination. Oh, yeah, he played Hollow One as well. With you mean Contagion, or? Contag- contagion, Contagion, yeah. Yeah, Contagion. Ah, yes. Yeah. Contagion because Contagion is, uh, I guess, a silly black enchantment, if I'm right. No, it's a pitch black card. That no, that, that's Contagion. That's Contagion. Um, con- contamination is the Ursa Saga one that makes all lands produce black mana, but you have to sacrifice a creature in the upkeep. The Black Moon. The Black Moon. <laughs> But yeah, I, I would assume you played con- Contagion. Yeah, I played Contagion. Did I say Contamination? Uh, maybe, maybe we just misunderstood you. But I think it's it's pretty clear. Anyway, um, yeah. So I play. You can play cont- Contagion, or you can play Spinning Darkness, or you can play Signing Shoal. Yeah. So you can play these cards to beat the creature hate. So you can still beat it. But Containment Priest is definitely the best hate piece. Shoutouts to Spinning Darkness, a card that hasn't worked on Magic Online for, I think, almost a decade. I think they might have fixed it recently, but that card was broken and didn't really work for a long, long time. <laughs> Mark, did you actually not... Did you, didn't you just recently rediscover some, some new bug on Magic Online and speaking of that? Yes, I just, like, an hour ago discovered that timely reinforcements makes three soldier tokens even when you don't have any creatures even when the opponent has no creatures so my opponent just tapped out versus me on turn three and cast that and i was very surprised so i just let it resolve and then he just get three soldiers and i i was just sitting with three lands and we were playing a control mirror so three one ones on turn three is pretty powerful <laughs> who would have thought legacy one of the most powerful formats three mana three one ones no no sorry it was modern Oh, it was modern? Was okay, that. yeah, I can see it being better in modern then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I just conceded the match and reported him. <laughs> that sounds like you. <laughs> no, no, seriously, if you think they, they did it on purpose, then you should definitely should do that. Yeah, um, and you will also so. be reimbursed, right? I guess I will, I hopefully. Yeah. And speaking of vintage, um, what a lot of people these days actually don't know is that Marius was also super successful in vintage. Um, I remember you pretty much winning everything in at least Germany for quite a while. Yeah, that was that was some time ago when I played uh, Workshop, but then I, I sold my Moxes, the Lotus and the Workshops for 3,000 bucks altogether. Uh, nowadays, <laughs> I would get uh, more for just the Lotus. was just a bad timing to sell it. Well, but it uh, was, was still okay because I got the stuff uh, for far less money than I sold it. Didn't you get half your power from like judging our local tournaments? That was yeah, correctly in Munich in the Sabelschule. <laughs> it was quite funny. But this were this were times when uh, you really got uh, good stuff from tournaments and where plateau where the crap cards you could win. Yeah, I remember when I got like third place or something and I didn't pick the plateau. I picked the curse scroll and the plateau went down to like sixth or seventh place and they tried to sell it but nobody wanted it. But I mean, it's still the same, right? Who plays Plateau? Is Plateau the least played dual land in Legacy right now? Ooh, since Badland is in this awful Black Red reanimate that deck, I would assume this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, but uh, con- con- concerning Vintage, I always looked at the top eight lists after I sold my mud, and I always thought, oh, now they restricted Lodestone Golem and they restricted Chalice, and the deck must finally be that and it became even more popular over the years and more and more and more popular and you played it once and you told me it's just complete silly yeah i played it at mkm hamburg 2017 i actually uh, hadn't played vintage in a while and i 
in instantly won the tournament, which of course like came with a lot of luck. But at that point, the deck felt absolutely stupid. And afterwards, I played Paradoxical Outcome, and that deck felt stupid. And now Mark tells me that Dredge is, is the next big thing. Um, where I have a certain almost morbid curiosity and fascination with Vintage because that even though a lot of broken stuff is going on, sometimes you see... I mean, I remember a time where Sage of Epitier was like a card that you wouldn't get laughed at if you played that because you you played... Basically, the decks were just looking for a one-drop that you can then use to... Um, what's the ninja? Ninja of the Deep Hours on turn mm. two. Uh, so so sometimes like the creep, the weirdest cards show up in Vintage. But yeah, it looks like Vintage is slowly has backed itself into a corner where, I don't know, the elephant is the room with restrictions of Bazaar and Workshop. And I think Iron Farsight almost mentioned that... I think he actually made a literal tweet where he said that cards like like Workshop or Brainstorms are pillars of the formats in their respective formats, and they will never be restricted or banned. So I'm actually really curious um, what what's in store for Vintage next, because Dredge is a very very special strategy that you would think could you could hate out pretty effectively, but with it having this, this Swiss Have a look at modern. Main deck, <laughs> <laughs> That's true, that's true, but... I mean, it's still vintage, right? It should be able to fight back against the most broken stuff. But maybe, maybe actually, I should play Dredge. I- I'm gonna hit up Tom and, and let him know. And maybe, maybe he's got some bazaars. <laughs> You're gonna play modern, right, in Frankfurt? Uh, yes, I'm going to, and I'm really looking forward to it because I just bought uh, the rest for my Esper Shadow, uh, going away from Grixis. Um, but I'm happy that I don't need these rest in peace inside board anymore. So people oh, yeah. are still working on the Hogak deck. I'm, I'm in some kind of Hogak chat, and I thought it would be over, but I just took a look at uh, earlier today, and people are already brewing hard. But obviously, with the, the combo kill gun, it's a lot easier to hate out, because suddenly you're really only losing to beatdown. And like if you're losing to beatdown, that's something you can fight over. But I'm curious what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, just talk to some friends who are two uh, brewing uh, around with Hogak. And I guess I'm going to still let the two Surgicals in main because it can handle Phoenix too. And let's be honest, the most stupid card in Modern at the moment for years, in my opinion, is Faithless Looting. It enables only stupid decks. Decks that are not really interactive and uh, don't bring much fun to any of the players. Yeah, it's interesting that Wizards, when they were discussing the different cards they could ban in modern because of the dominance of hogak they didn't even mention faithless looting and that also leads me to believe maybe it's it's got this holy cow status because it's considered a pillar of the modern format i wouldn't bet a lot of money on on faithless looting ever really being banned in modern maybe you're right there mark have you played a lot of modern recently i've sniffed to the format a few times but i just burn my fingers and then then i go to legacy again Ah, that's great. So overall, how how do you feel about Legacy? Um, you've been really successful online as of late. I mean, you've always been one of the more successful grinders. But as of late, I think you, you showed up in almost every Legacy challenge that, that has been played and playing different decks every single time. I, I think Legacy is pretty good right now. I, I have been saying that I thought Legacy was the best it has been in years before War of the Spark was printed. But still after it, it's pretty interesting and modern horizons brought some good things i think although random six is maybe a little bit too powerful it's still uh, an interesting card i think it's for sure it's for sure a bit too good in my opinion too it's a walking crucible that pings damage 
it's the card that pretty much defines the format right now. And um, just to give you guys my impression of the formats, I feel that all these greed... I mean, Mark, you, you also saw those lists, right? Those those four-color lists that even play Wasteland and Basic Lands. And, yeah. and they somehow seem to work out for people. Like, they even got Anorak to stop playing Miracles. And now he plays, like, four-color Miracles with Astrolabe and everything just so they can utilize... Uh, uh, red and six which is in a pretty weird color combination for control decks red and green is not really something you primarily play and if, if you're playing a two mana planeswalker you definitely want to be able to play it like pretty early on so it leads to these weird builds that that heavily dominate all the grind fights that you really can only try to attack maybe on their mana but even they they, they are using basic lands and a friend and six to fix their mana so that's a hard thing to do on the other hand We've seen a big resurgence of Rock Delver or Canadian Threshold also using uh, utilizing Red and Six. We talked about that in the last uh, episode of Everyday Eternal, how, how it actually fixes a lot of problems that uh, Rock Delver used to have. Primarily, for example, stuff um, like Bayful Strix, which puts a hard block to pretty much all their creatures. So I'm actually kind of happy about that because I always kind of like those matches against Rock Delver. It, it feels much more... Uh, sophisticated than just straight up blue red diver so i, I kind of like that but a different trend that started i want to say like one or two weeks ago is that people are playing a lot of crazy fast combo decks me included i gotta admit just just for the sake of it of trying it and the reasoning at least for me is that while people are busy doing all this mid-range stuff like this heavy late game mid-range control stuff whatever you want to call it i really just want to be the guy who who activates Goblin Charbatch on the first turn and they didn't have their Force of Will and they will suffer for it. And it's it's worked quite well. I played Belcher. Belcher was was okay, but then Eric told me to maybe try out Upsos Bells and he's been pretty successful with it. I think Stefan Schütz also got like um, uh, a 5-0 or 2 on Magic Online with it. And Upsos Bells is really good. It's it's actually really good right now. Um, I, I've been so many games where I don't even know what my opponent is playing just because they are, they are playing one of these mid-range greed piles and they, they didn't keep a force of fire. Sometimes you can even easily beat the force of fire. So this is this is the meta game that I'm seeing right now that, that makes it a little bit harder for like those synergistic creature decks like like Death and Taxes, like Elves, uh, to a certain degree even Maverick, even though Maverick also benefits from it because they actually get to play Plague Engineer, which is a another big piece to the puzzle that is Legacy right now. A card that's that's seeing even main deck play in a lot of those mid-range decks, just because it's so good against most of the field that isn't combo. And even if it's combo, I guess you can also like take down some goblin tokens so yeah that, that that's my impression of the format and i think that's not gonna be stable in the long run i think the fast combo decks are gonna go down again and gonna go away as people drop off a little bit of their hunger for end game mid-range good stuff and and start adding a little bit more discards a little bit more dedicated hate cards so that, that's where i hope we're moving forward to but how do you guys feel about the format right now with regards to which decks are viable? Well, I think, first of all, you are, of course, right. I think Fast Combo is a good opportunity now to play and not in one year. The question is how much fun you have uh, playing Oops All Spells or Belcher. I, I, I see always your stream and you play Elves and it's so much fun and uh, people in chat are cheering at you and Oops All Spells, okay, I kill you and now I kill you not and next game I kill you again <laughs> and then after an hour the league is vorbei no matter what the result is but uh, I wouldn't have fun with this uh, 
Yes, I like First One Blood Moon too, but that's a different, that's a different story. And concerning the Ren and Six list, I think there are many, many directions in which you can go. So, first of all, the Canadian really profits from this. And I always liked Canadian very much, but it just felt inferior to Grixis Delver. Not only to Grixis Delver when Deathrite was legal, but uh, to Grixis Delver too in modern days where you just played Thought Size and Gourmark Angler as hard threats that Canadian did not have. But with Ren and Six, this deck got um, two mana crucible that pings baleful strix that pings uh, other little creatures and that even grows your tamogoyf if it dies what's not bad at all my favorite build with ren and six to be honest is this uh ruck mid-range list with a shardless agent that goes for these rhinos for vision and rhinos and Arcanist. And Arcanist. Just play the Arcanist, cascade into Rhinos or Ancestral Vision, and even if the opponent counters it, you attack with Arcanist and get, and get your Rhinos then, or your uh, your Vision. And Renan 6 fits perfectly into this build. Yeah, that deck is, is super sexy. I think it's called Rock Waterfalls, um, going back to the idea of cascading into, into a ton of stuff that's really good. Uh, Mark, how, how do you like that deck? Have you tried it out? Uh, uh, you've been streaming a bit more lately. I think you, you took a break for a while, but I think you're back to it, right? Uh, I'm I'm not really back to it right now, as I just moved and need to, to get a stable, uh, like high-quality internet connection again. But once I have that, I'm probably returning again. I can't say for sure, but... The, about the rock deck, I I'm really not a fan of that deck. I I'm very competitive and I've played a lot of, but I've played a lot of really bad decks. That's true. But I think that deck is also just bad. I think the deck is a dead end and there's it has so many problems that it cannot really fix. It also plays a game where you're trying to outvalue the opponent, but you still lose to some of the faster decks late game. And that's like the fundamental problem with this that deck. Like even if you make, you know, four rhinos on turn three or turn two or whatever, and then you make another four, you're still gonna lose to all the combo decks, and you're even gonna lose to better skulls still. So you're saying you're producing card advantage with the deck, but the card advantage consists mainly of being able to put fat stuff into play and and have a couple of creatures, but not really having anything. Uh, strategically that that offers you a different way to play the game other than playing back creatures and attacking which which makes it problematic in the long run your your grind is just too low impact it's you're doing a lot of things that are good on turn five to six but but a lot of decks do more powerful stuff uh, once the turns becomes a little a little bit once the game progresses a little bit more that's that's interesting that 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 I haven't actually played the deck. I've only watched it and I found it interesting. Um, that reminds me of, of something that I was always feel how a legacy deck should be able to do something really unfair. Uh, either you have insane acceleration and stay ahead of the opponent that way, uh, but then you got to close the game, or you, you're able to do, to do something really unfair. And the way you describe it makes me feel like the deck is not really capable of doing super unfair stuff. It's, it's the kind of deck that you want to play against... Well, okay, you you even mentioned how Stoneblade with Betterskull can be a problem, but 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 against something that's also not very unfair, that that's basically you're a really good sealed deck that has a tons of card advantage and ways to do that. that that's the way. That's the vibe that I'm getting yeah, from the, it. Yeah, the problem is it it doesn't have 
answers for the the really powerful grind uh, cards like battle skull and other equipment it doesn't have enough answers to that so it, it just gets out grind in the in the super late game and in the early game it also just loses to wasteland or thalia or what have you so so even if you get to attack with your dreadhought arcanist in the late game you're flashing back cantrips and those cantrips draw you into more basically one three strata arcanists or maybe some rhinos that won't actually change the pattern of the board that that's actually interesting that's some, some something people should be working on that also needs addressing through the sideboard but it can it can actually lead to a lot of frustration but this is stuff you can you can adjust julian you can for example play this uh gr new green red enchantment that deals run damage to uh, each for each spell an opponent plays yeah. and can destroy uh, an artifact or enchantment if you sack it and two of them stops combo so maybe just play two of them in the main and two in the sideboard do you have the name of the card i just don't know it uh wines cinderwine right cinderwines yes exactly you can play cinderwines you can play pact of negation for fast combo you can adjust the deck and perhaps pact of negation Force, force of negation. Force of negation. <laughs> okay, we wild. You can flash that back with uh, a Dreadhought Arcanist, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> perhaps the uh, best deck list has just not been found, but you can adjust the deck. I agree with uh, with Mark that uh, you are lacking discard. That may be really hurt. But you have options. You have options to play main or sideboard. So yeah, maybe we're going to see more of the deck in the future once people address these kind of issues. Uh, I would certainly love to see that because to me as well, the rock color combination has always been very dear to my, very close to my heart. I, I just am happy when I see that deck doing well. So yeah, in uh, speaking of color combinations, I've got well, it's it's actually pretty straightforward with regards to colors. I got marks. Mark, how do you call that? Your your Chuckmoth control deck that you top, I think, fought the challenge in the beginning of June with, uh, right in front of me. Um, the signature card, of course, Chuckmoth Thrawn Physician. Uh, what actually made you play that card? Because I think when it was spoiled, people were like, okay, cool, it's Chuckmoth, but I'm probably not going to play him. But you seem to be pretty high on it, and you also did pretty well with it. Yeah. I call the deck Yogg's Fit. I, I just call it Yogg's Fit on, on, on Magic Online, but I people were shortening to Yogg's Fit, and I think that's a fine name. So so that's what I call it now. And what I saw in Yogg's the card, was that it was a, a really powerful card draw spell uh, on, or card draw creature with recurring removal. In Nickfit, you already want to sacrifice a lot of creatures, and, and even the ones that you don't really want to sacrifice, you don't mind if you draw a card at the same time and maybe kill a creature. So what I saw in, in this build, uh, compared to regular like junk Nickfit, was that it was a, a board control engine. So so basically, you play a creature, and that's great, and you you like to have creatures in Nickfit, they kill your opponent, but instead of trying to control the early mid-game in, in Nickfit with Pernicious Deed and uh, Abrupt Decays and Assassin's Trophies and then trying to draw your finishers or more answers like on the right times, in the right order and stuff, instead of that, you just have the a, a, a draw engine built into this creature that at the same time removes your opponent's board. So so I, I decided to add some Cavern of Souls and a lot more creatures that I could sack. And and the deck did, did did pretty well, so that's what I'm working on now in in terms of Nick Fit. 
Yeah, I think that the draw engine that is Chuckmoth might actually be a little bit underappreciated because when I saw it, I was like, okay, you, you get to put a counter, but you also have to sacrifice a creature. But when you have, uh, well, you're running of one of Lindering Souls, but you also have a lot of other cards that you don't mind sacrificing. You're playing four Veteran Explorers, you play two, play two Stoneforge Mystic, which can also be sacrificed later on if, if need be. Uh, Ors of Pontiff makes sense. Actually, uh, and you also have some synergy with Marine of Clan Tooth. Because I was just going to ask you, with all that stuff that's going on, wouldn't you want to play old-school Genesis in the deck? But I guess Marine of Clan Tooth is actually pretty much that, right? She, she brings back creatures either into play or, or in, onto your hand to reuse with Chuck. But that's actually a really powerful engine once you get it going. Is, does that come up often? Yeah, a lot of the games that you win uh, is when you get the combo of a creature and Yogmoth and Miren. And you have the Cavern of Souls to resolve the Yogmoth. You have the Green Sun Seed to find Miren. It, it, ha- it comes up often enough. and uh, But usually when that combo happens, you don't play the game for very long because there's basically no no decks, no fair decks at least, that can that can handle that amount of, of card advantage. Yeah, that that looks pretty pretty strong. Are you still playing that deck, or is it just something you tried and now you're moving on? I've kind of moved on, but I I will return to that deck for sure. And uh, I, I right when Blue Red Delva came out, it was really really strong. Like when they started playing Dreadhought Arcanist, I could just use Yogmoth to put a minus one counter on uh, on Dreadhought Arcanist. Then that was nothing, and I drew a card and you know killed Delvas, etc. And and I feel like we're really under appreciating Orsof Pontiff here because Orsof Pontiff is fantastic with Yogmoth. You can often do a one-sided massacre while drawing two cards and you can, you know, you have the Cavern of Souls to make sure to re- resolve your Orsof Pontiff. And the most problematic permanent usually for Nick Fit is uh, True Name Nemesis, which it is a very clean answer to. And yeah, it just provides so much value in the deck. I almost want to play three, but it's hard to fit them. Uh, so, so would you say this is like a really strong deck against all those mid-game, end-game decks? Uh, how, how does it line up against something that's trying to abuse Ren and Six? Well, I haven't played it that much since people really discovered Ren and Six, but it's a deck that's not trying to attack your mana, and it's also it has a relatively stable mana base. So I would think that it's yeah, yeah it would it's probably pretty solid. The engine of Yorkmouth is much more powerful once it's online than a Renan Six because Renan Six draws only lands and Yorkmouth draws answers and is an answer in itself. So I I, I think it matches up pretty well, but I, it's something I'm gonna have to to play in the near future again. So which decks are you trying to avoid playing this deck? It matches up well against a lot of things, honestly, but. I don't want to play versus decks with lots of basics and strong late game. Like Death and Tax is okay, but actually I'm not, I'm not even sure because Ryakmoth is so good against Death and Taxes and it's also really good against elves and stuff. So Yeah, I, I can imagine once it comes online, it's a real nightmare. I, I've seen it played out of humans against me. And once humans had enough time to get Chuckmoth online, I, I really had issues with elves, like big time issues. I, I'm wondering, you, you probably, like, I would guess, don't want to play against the crazy fast combo decks because you don't have many ways to attack. I guess you have three surgicals that I'm seeing in the list right now. I, I could see something like something show and tell based being an issue. Um, yeah. Maybe those. You, you have four cable therapies and then, well, some hate bears. It's, 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 not, it's certainly not hopeless, right? It's not the best, probably, 
but it's very winnable. And surgical and this card is so good against show and tell decks. I actually in that challenge I beat JPA in the first round, and he's like the number one show and tell player. I actually played him the very first round and and won that. And I, I traditionally I've actually been winning a lot of uh, show and tell matchups with Nick Fit. Like in the first challenge that I topated was with Nick Fit, and I won in the finals versus show and tell as well. Sneak uh-huh. awesome, Mar- Marius. Do you think this could be a deck for our our friend uh, Mr. Shu? who's looking for a deck like right like this right now do you think you could actually get him hooked on that oh i honestly don't know because he's uh, quite stuck on brainstorm and playing buck in colors he just does not like the classic nickfit rock uh, color combination he strikes me as the, the stereotypical nickfit player i don't know why shoo yeah <sighs> yeah I know him <laughs> primarily as Infect player, and he played this deck. Played Infect very well. But uh, Infect is probably the deck that lost most with the newest expansion. Yeah. That, Ren and Six, Plague Engineer, and all the stuff uh, pre- uh, which has come previous, Fatal Push, and so on, makes really a hard time for Nickfit. Ah, for, for, for Infect, sorry. So maybe there's a different deck that we can actually get you hooked on, Marius, because I feel like you you also you're wondering what to play in Legacy. At least I get many messages every week from you. Maybe I should play this, maybe I should play that. And maybe Mark has the answer for you in the very next Legacy Challenge that he ended up top eighting. A deck that I actually ended up calling Obelisk Spider Control, which is not the correct name. I was told later on, <laughs> but that, at least that's what I'm going to introduce it at. You can find the link to it in the show notes. It's also a Green Sun Senate-based deck. It's basically four colors or every color except blue, but it's only splashing white for Knight of Reliquary and oh, red for Huntmaster of the Files and of course for Red and Six. It's actually a stompy deck. I'm, I'm, if you ask me, I would say it's a next level ev- evolution of Sylvan Pluck. But Mark, I think you introduced this deck by a different name. I just call it Four Color Ren, and I, I think it's the the next level of Four Color Loam. I, I think that Life from the Loam is an outdated card for for that deck for a, a chalice deck, and I think Ren just one for one it just replaces it completely. Yep, totally, you, totally you agree here. Ren. That's uh, what I told. Alex Beiersdorfer too, and he agreed in his four-color loam deck that he's just going to replace the loams and one another card for three ren and six, and that sounds completely reasonable. Yes, and I think you should play four ren and six before you even put the first life from the loam in. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree, totally agree. So I, I think people, I've seen people calling it silver plug splashing red. But I don't think it's actually a true Sylvan Plug deck. The, the only thing that's really Sylvan Plug about this deck right now is Green Sun Zenith and Trinisphere, I guess. I mean, that's a lot of decks play that those cards. So, uh, but but the the Sylvan Plug thing is that you play Trinisphere and Green Sun Zenith together, maybe. But that's not how I remember Sylvan Plug. Sylvan Plug was just a like a green deck splashing black, and it was. Because the meta was completely blue some years ago, it, were pl- it was playing four main deck choke and it was playing up to four rolling spoil, and then it was playing silver library and obstinate bailoth that on uh, quote unquote combo. <laughs> One of the more questionable combos of legacy. <laughs> yes, so you play obstinate bailoth, gain four life, and then next turn you can you can continue drawing extra cards with silver library from the life you gained. <laughs> uh, but. 
it was not even playing Green Sun Zenith in the beginning. It was just playing chokes and three spheres, uh, twin spheres and cellos and stuff. But the thing that stood out for me that deck was playing Rolling Spoil. And, you know, it was a land instruction deck that played some random big creatures. For those of you who don't know, um, the way I remembered Rolling Spoil, I think it's, is it four mana, destroy our land, and if you paid black, uh, all creatures get minus one, minus one until end of exactly, turn? Exactly, that's exactly the card. Oh, wow. I actually didn't look that up, I'm smart, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, so I think the only thing that reminds us now, really, of Sylvan Plug is the random creatures and Trinisphere, I guess, but I think the deck is closer in concept to Four Color Loam, and so I just call it Four Color Ren. I mean, people are free to argue that, but I, I don't think it's the next evolution of yeah. Sylvan Plug. I think it's the next evolution of Four Color Loam. You already mentioned that that it com entirely drops the life from the loam, which which feels like an outdated card. So it's really all about the way I see it. Very first of all, of course, the stompy mana based, where you can sometimes steal wins with, with uh, Mox Diamond, Trini Spheres, and Chalices. But it also has a really, really nice selection of 10 different creatures that it plays. I'm actually going to read them from top to bottom. Dryad Arbor, Scavenging Ooze, Tarmogoyf, Cursor of Crufix, Knight of Reliquary, Obelisk Spider, Ramonap, Excavator, Huntmaster of the Fells, Marine Maran of Clan Nell Tooth, and my favorite card that I actually used for a long time as my commander, Titania Protector of Argoth. What are you actually looking to do? Is are you are you looking to to play a really good mid-range game or do you try to lock your opponent out or just create a ton of card advantage? Well, I mean, of course it depends on the matchup. But in which regards, other than Loam, is this different from Far Color Loam? I also see that it has much less removal, right? Yes, there's much remo much less removal and much less reliance on black because Liana the Veil, while it's okay, it just doesn't really work with the mana and it's not powerful enough to try to make it work. You also play Ancient Tombs for a little faster lock pieces, but basically it's a it's a mana denial deck that, that can play the value game a bit. But I think a lot of the creature package can actually, or a significant part can be cleaned up a bit. I don't think Miren is right to play in this deck. It doesn't have the sacrifice synergies. So it's not really, it, it's not the powerful threat that it is in Nick Fit. It's not like deal with this before my end step or you are going to get outvalued. You're going to lose. It's more like eh, a bad eternal witness, basically. Yeah, I, I noticed that you also don't have any one-drops, really, that she can bring back immediately. I guess she can still bring back any creature the way I remember her working, but she can put them into the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's already pretty good. Um, an interesting card that I keep uh, referring is Obelisk Spider, which is just like, it, it's such a cool and awesome answer to Dreadheart Arcanist. Is that the one reason why you put the, the spider in? And for those of you who don't know what the spider does, it's a colorless, a black, and a green. One for reach. When Obelisk Spider deals combat damage to a creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on the creature. And every time you put one of those counters on a creature, your opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So what you do is you block Dreadhought Arcanist and you, you put the count on it, which gives it zero power. So after the first attack, it can never, well, really flashback anything again. And it also actually outright kills Delver because it deals one damage and puts the counter and survives in combat. So that's I just really like those those cool synergies, even though they are pr probably... Hmm, I, I would like it more if it had Death Touch, so it was always useful, but it, it's kind of cool, I, I want to say. I think Obelisk Spider is... It definitely belongs in the deck, I think. That's one thing. Another thing is that it's a perfect uh, example of a metagame creature. Like, it's a 
it's obviously not a great creature. It has terrible stats and it doesn't finish the game. And, <laughs> hey, I was just trying to talk it up. And, and you know, there's lots of downsides to this card. So three mana, one, four, that's not great. But actually, the way it fits in this meta, exactly like you explained, is makes it super good. It, it's very hard to outright kill this creature and in an effective way especially versus that chalice twinosphere deck but it just it slots in so perfectly in in the metagame as a green sun zenith target as a as a yeah for for special scenarios that actually comes up often because in metagame is like it is this creature fits perfectly and and is actually a must deal threat and a threat i've had to uh, get force of will several times <laughs> and people spend two lightning bolts on it, and that's that's fine. I mean, that's the lowest floor, basically, for this card versus the yeah. matchups where it's meant for. You know, that reminds me of when I played that troll deck, that, that meme deck, which basically played four giant spiders. It, it was like a green kitchen table deck, but it played four giant spiders. And sometimes I played it in, in Legacy 2 main queues when we still had those. And I also, I had it force of filled at times, my giant spider against Delver decks, because the Delver decks knew they would need to trade two for one against fucking giant spider. And one guy even told me, okay, I'm not going to force of fill this spell that you're playing because I know I got to hold my force of fill for the giant spider. <laughs> and now it looks like you've, you found an even more effective thing. <laughs> but I, it, it's just, I just find it amazing. But how do you overall rate this deck? Is this something that people should definitely explore more? Um, how, how do you rate it? Uh, I think that, I mean, obviously it's a chalice deck, and uh, so it has some power already. It's it's the, the deck is put on a certain power level just from playing the fast mana chalice combo. But other than that, I think the, the power level is just super high in the deck, and it will keep getting toys as long as it's uh, four colors. And yeah, it, I think it's pretty high power, and it can be tuned to be even better than it is. And, you know... Matt Sola, he went 12th in the Legacy playoffs with it. So I just took his deck, made a few changes, and then top fought the Legacy Challenge the next week. So yeah, I think the, the deck has potential, and yeah, it should be explored. Matt Sola is the bane of my existence. Ever since he played the Cleric Stompy deck, I... I just, I have nightmares about that guy. <laughs> Marius, how do you feel about the deck? Is that something that would interest you? Um, we actually, we haven't talked about what, what's your deck to go right now. Is it something like this? I like this deck very much, at least uh, much more than, than Nick Fit, uh, any version of Nick Fit. Not, can, not, can, you, not... can you hear the tone in Marius' voice? Can, can you say the name Nick Fit again? Nick Fit. Yeah, see, see, it, it sounds a little bit condescending. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Nickfit is the deck for me. If you have a card and do not know where to play it, you build another Nickfit build. <laughs> it doesn't matter which color pile, if Nickfit. Yeah, well, no, but uh, this deck I see here, it looks like Mark has had many thoughts on it, and I nearly like all the cards. If I would build it, I would probably go with one Sylvan Library less and only three Trini Spheres because. If you draw them, they can always be a, a little awkward, and probably I put would put two more creatures in the deck. But uh, the concept of the deck is it's 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 great. It's a mana denial deck with chalice, with good creatures and uh, great sideboard options. A bit a bit regrettable that there is only place for two ancient tomb in it because every ancient tomb you put more in the list gives you a much higher chance. That's playing a first round chalice or even a Trinity Sphere together with uh, with Mox Diamond. 
That's true, but Mox Diamond also kind of acts like an ancient tomb in this list, right? So you got like six ways to get those guys in the first turn. Yeah, I just mean, I watched many games of four-color loam. And the four-color loam deck always felt really, really bad if you were on the draw and did not have a Mox Diamond start. Then it felt like a very, very bad Junt deck. And with each ancient tomb you add, you have much more chances on playing turn one chilies. The, the way I see it, um, this deck has the option of doing something broken on the, f on the first turn, but with this amount of acceleration, including the four greens and Senate that can accelerate, it's really looking to do something broken on turn two and three while having the option of doing something broken on the first turn. But it's not as dependent on that, which, which I kind of like. Comparing it to Four Color Loam, I think Four Color Loam often, often would only play two Green Sun Senate. This one plays four, which also gives it even more acceleration than that deck. Like, because you mentioned, if Loam doesn't have the Mox start, and every time I play against the deck, I'm sitting there, I feel like, if they don't have Mox Diamond, my hand is great against them. And if they have Mox Diamond, I'm really far behind. And... I mean, it goes both ways, right? They feel like if they don't have the mocks, they also feel far behind. So I like how this is a more balanced approach to Loam, while also still managing to to play a lot of really powerful spells. And, and of course, utilizing not only the like the trend of the month, the new flavor of the month, uh, Renin 6, but probably a card that's here to stay. It's really expensive right now, isn't it? Yeah, 300 bucks for Renin 6 in foil. <laughs> <laughs> and 60 bucks for a normal one. And I just have the list here before me, before me on my computer, and online it's about uh, 60 bucks too. That's yeah. for MTG Online quite much. It's actually more. It's much more, actually. Yeah, it's over 100 tickets by you now. You cannot really get them and. <laughs> If you get them, they are over 100 tickets. You know what they should do? They should put them in treasure chests. They will. And once they do that, they will drop to, like, I don't know, seven tickets within a few weeks. <laughs> seven tickets? That's, that sounds Something crazy. Something like that. But if you, take, if you take a final look at deck, what I see, really many new cards. It uh, was rare in Legacy that a new expansion came out, a new set came out. And so many cards found their way into a legacy deck. Obviously, Ob Obelisk Spider is there. <laughs> it's quite new. <laughs> MVP. But four Ren of Six in the main deck. Even Land Nurturing Peatland. It's uh, this uh, black-green Horizon Canopy. Fits as one of... And if you look at the sideboard, one Collector of the Walking Nyrod, with its, which is great with screens on Senate. Two Plague Engineer that are really many cards for a legacy deck yeah, with a yeah. new set. Yeah, Blake Engineer is a big one. And the Blake Engineer is also the card that brings us into the next part of the podcast, which is actually the main reason that I wanted both of you guys on, because both of you guys are really, really accomplished Death and Texas pilots, uh, have spent a lot of time developing that deck, both with regards to the, the regular deck as well as Splash Colors. And both of you feel very different about the viability of Death and Texas right now, because Obviously, there's challenges that the deck faces, I'm going to say right now. So before we get too deep into, into the current state, Mark, can you give us just a general rundown of, of the mindset that, that would make somebody play Death in Texas, even if they are not Danish? You know, if you're, you, you're playing one of the most powerful formats ever created, and people put Grizzlebrand into play on the first turn. So why do you want to be the guy who, who untaps and casts Mother of Runes? That's a question of how I want to play Magic as well, and uh, not just about the power level of decks and uh, why I play Legacy. 
And to make it as concise as I can, I think that Crystal Brand decks are way too one-dimensional and uninteresting. That is for me personally. I enjoy variety and interaction in games. And if most games are unique, that would also just be great. So I find that Death and Taxes satisfies those criteria quite a bit. That That's how I like to play Magic. I also just think that the deck is so good now, it ha- keeps getting toys. And uh, yeah, I, I don't see why I wouldn't play this deck. It, it feels great to me and, and I'm... I'm having fun. To break it down, and I can totally relate to that, and I think Marius can as well, the kind of magic that Death and Texas plays and represents is probably some of the best magic and most enjoyable magic, at least to us, and I think a lot of other people in the format as well. I actually, little known fact, before I bought Elves in 2013, I narrowed it down to either buying Elves or Death and Texas, because I really like the playstyle of both, and I got really close to, to buying Death and Texas as well. And I can totally see where you're coming from, even though people, you know, they will go ahead and, and tell you, but Mark, what if they throw 20 goblin tokens on you in the first turn? Then you're like, okay, maybe maybe I lose, but I think that, that you can still overall grind out a lot of wins and do well in the meta game because the deck, and here comes the thing I don't really like referencing at all, because the deck has a lot of skill to it. I think Death in Texas is, is one of the decks where you can really, really tell the difference between a first-time player and somebody who really knows all the in and outs of the deck. Before we get back to that, one thing that you once did to me on Magic Online that blew my mind is, you didn't have Vile, but you had Flicker Wisp in play. So you played a main phase Flicker Wisp, flickered out your own Flicker Wisp, that came in at your end step. That took out my cradle. And then I didn't have cradle for a turn. I was stunned. I was like, how can somebody do this? And those are the things that, I mean, they might sound cute, but there's tons of these little things in Death and Texas. So I can totally understand your fascination with the deck, even though there's problematic things going on in the metagame right now. Wouldn't you say that there's, especially with Renan 6 and, and Plague Engineer, we have seen people abandoning the deck almost like marius who's probably outside of denmark one of the most accomplished death in texas pilots in europe has stopped playing it uh, phil gallagher also isn't too high on it the guy who runs thrame university and even cyrus carmen gill a new arrival to the death in texas community i want to say already left the deck behind again he had some harsh words for the deck that i'm not gonna repeat here but after leaving storm he, he felt he wanted to do something new and he also left the deck behind so the deck faces issues but mark you feel that that it's capable of not only surviving but actually putting out numbers like you do and you think that's not just a one-time thing that's going on yeah so some of the new cards are problematic the first the war of the sparks cards came and they were very impactful and they were played a lot but actually they were they all lined up pretty poorly against death and taxes since they were killable by you know creatures you could attack them and they would die but modern horizons brought two cards that are very good in a vacuum against Death in Texas. And that's, of course, uh, Renan 6 and Plague Engineer. But the decks that play Renan 6, they are super greedy, usually. And if they, they if they aren't that greedy, then they are just decks that Death in Texas was traditionally very, very good against. So it didn't flip the matchup that much, but it did make the matter much more fair, which I think is a, is a big bonus for Death in Texas. The real problem for Modern Horizons is Plague Engineer, and if it comes out of the sideboard, I'm not too worried. But once people play multiple copies main deck, that's when I start to worry. And and I've lost to I've also beaten multiple main deck uh, Plague Engineers, but I've I've also lost to it. And uh, actually, the the challenge this Sunday, I was knocked out 
by someone playing multiple main deck uh, Plague Engineers. I, I still got to three games and it was close, but it was not meant to be. Once you start to main deck those cards, that's when it gets difficult. And Marius, how do you feel? Because you also, I think this is one of the decks you've played the longest in, well, I think by now it's almost 15 years of Legacy, right? Let me think, 2005 where was the year where I played much land still at these great Nuremberg tournaments. Yeah, that's yeah, 15 years, yes. And I've known you for many decks, but Death in Texas has been... I, th I think it's still Greenberg, Greenheart Maverick, that's your signature deck, but Death in Texas you've played that yeah. for years. Maverick and after this Death in Texas were by far the decks which gave me the most fun. And I even can't tell whether it was Maverick, but yeah, it was, it was, it was Maverick. And I even now have my Death in Texas ready in my suitcase, but it would be probably the last deck that I would take to a big Legacy tournament. So how come? Do you feel, even if the crazy strong cards uh, come off of the sideboard, that it's too much? Or do you expect the metagame to be that hostile to even see a lot of Plague Engineers main All to All together. Mark formally said, really right, he likes the interaction that Death and Texas offers. But let's say it this way. Often the interaction is quite bad at the moment. You have interaction, but it's not enough. You play your deck at an optimum, but just don't have a chance against uh, opening nut draws. And with this, I don't mean these turn one kill decks. Even you told me you are going to play Oops All Spells or Belcher. You don't stand a chance against Oops, Oops, Oops All Spells or Belcher. If you want to win there, you have to play stuff like Mindbreak Traps in the board. But as Barra mentioned, we have the Plague Engineer and Ren and Six. He said, Ren and Six is in greedy piles. Yeah, that's true. These decks are at the moment greedy. But even if they are a bit less greedy and the greediness of players goes back, then you face good, solid control decks with three or even four Ren and Six. And honestly, I don't want to play Death and Texas against a deck we just looked at, like this Obelisk Spider control deck. <laughs> I think it's a terrible matchup. Not not Chalice, not Trinisphere. These cards are not really disturbing. But four Ren and Six and these Plague Engineers in the board combined with the good stuff because Death and Texas naturally has lots of bad top decks. Lots. You play three Caracas, four Aetherwiles, four Talias. I can't count the times where I had two Talias in my hand. Okay, if one dies, I had another. And then draw a third. Or the Aetherwile in turn 6. And it does nothing. Or you have one Caracas and one in the Flicker Wisp in hand and perhaps a Wasteland and Richard and Port. And you wait for the planes to cast it. And then you draw the second Caracas. And... Uh, But those are issues that have existed with Bison Texas since, since the beginning of time, yep, right? That, that's, that's not something that's correct. that came up That's correct. Plus, nowadays, you have these cards with a uh, really bad for the deck. So basically, you're saying Death and Texas has been playable for a long time, but never really far and away crazy good. And now it, it's being pushed back a little bit, which, or not only a little bit, uh, significantly, which really puts it, like, as you put it, into a state where it's the last deck you would play. Well, let's say let's say it, it this way. You had these times with Deathrite Shamans, And uh, you could play Death and Texas in these times for this four-color control decks like Thomas Marplate were really, really hard to, to encounter. Then there was a time when they banned Deathrite Shaman, and 
there I felt Death in Texas was an okay choice, but still not that great. It was always it was always okay, but now I don't I just don't see this deck in the format. To be honest, Merrick has the same problems as Death in Texas at the moment. Ren and Six and Plague Engineer are horrible for Merrick, but at least you have there the chance with Choke to uh, to have a good option against blue decks like Grixis Control or Four Color Control. If they don't have the Decay right away, you just win. And I really looked many matches of Death and Texas online. For example, Karl Heinz Kodausi, great Grixis Control player, and he crushed Death and Texas online every single time. And even you made uh, some years ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that 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 was that was a blasphemy that Death in Texas uh, lost against four color control decks <laughs> because the mana denial plan against Deathrite did just not work. Um, <laughs> you summed up a tournament in Frankfurt, I guess, where you made a meta analysis in Deathrite times. Oh yeah, that was 2017. Yeah, it's not that long ago. Yeah, I, I collected all deck lists and actually had had the Hatfield brothers brothers from the US uh, calculate the win percentage for every deck in the field, like for all the couple thousand matches that that were played that weekend. Exactly, and the best deck, the the, the best performing deck was, I guess, this four color uh, Bandstone Blade. Bandstone Blade. This deck I loved. I never had much time to play it, but I loved the deck. And Death in Texas was one of the most played decks in the whole tournament, and the worst performing of all decks. And that's my impression. That is just at the moment the same in Legacy. Barra is a great player. He knows every single every single trick in Death in Texas, I guess, and that makes much. You can always win a tournament with an inferior deck because you play it at an optimum. I mean, I've been doing it for years, right? <laughs> Maybe. But Death in Texas is just a deck that is mass played by players because it's quite cheap. You have not to invest a whole car, for example, to build this deck and you can just grab it up. Perhaps a friend of you has it and run it at a tournament. And with so many players playing this deck, it's naturally that there always are some top eight deck lists of the deck. So you're saying somebody's floating to the top and there's just enough people playing it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mark, is this... Without a doubt, the deck that you would go to, or for example, I, th I think we we are not seeing gonna see you at MKM Frankfurt. But assuming you would go, is, is that the deck that you would play without a doubt if you had access to pretty much everything, or would you certainly reconsider and try to, for example, hatch against these four color control decks by, I don't even know, playing something that's that's really good against them. I, I could imagine, for example, what's it called, Palace Chaler being really good against them, but you probably know better. Is, is how do you feel? I would bring doesn't Texas to any tournament right now that I was going in with the sole purpose of trying to win. And uh, if I'm hatching against Renan Six decks, I'm just playing cards like Brimmers or Hallowed Spirit Keeper, and I'm on those cards right now, so that's what I'm trying to do. So, and yeah, I'm actually looking up, the, you're actually playing two Brimmers, King of Orescos, in the list that you recently top-aided the challenge with. This I liked very much, by the way. I love Brimmers. It's such a great card. On the opposite, Hallowed Spirit Keeper. I'm not a, a fan of it and not convinced because if I would play Death in Texas, if I had to play Death in Texas, I would for sure go with at least three Rest in Peace at the moment because this handles the mana recovery of Ren and Six and handles Dreadhought Archon List and is great against Grixis Control. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Mark, I see another card in your sideboard that, that could be interesting. Um, you're playing three Cataclysms right now. Is that something you would bring in against those decks? I actually don't. I, I mean, that list is pretty old now, actually. It's like two weeks old or something. I, my sideboard looks very different now, and, and also my main deck looks a bit different. I don't think Cataclysm is as good versus Renaissance decks as people tend to... Want it to be? Yeah. So uh, against Quick's Control deck, the problem is that they discard your hand so much they go for so much hand disruption that once you can cast cataclysm it's either if you got flooded or if you top deck it very late it has some criteria where it's good and they of course need to not have the counter spell as well but i'd much rather play something proactive something that straight up kills my opponent like hello spirit keeper and is significantly cheaper in of course one mana cheaper but also you can put in with vial which makes a lot of difference I, I think Cataclysm is it's great in a Tundra meta, but I'm not really too happy playing it against Volcanic Island decks. So I, I'm down to one copy right now because it also kills a lot of random decks like Enchantress and Nickfit and, you know, like some, some artifact prison decks it can kill as well. Marius, you said you, you're... Actually, can we tell which deck you will be playing in, in Frankfurt next month? Yeah, there are two options. Maybe I'll really go with Maverick because I just like the deck very much and it has a great toolbox. Or I'm going to play Painter with four cards and quite immune to Ren and Six or Plague Engineer and has very good cards gotten as well in the last expansion. But you would sure still be rooting for Mark to do well with Death and Texas, a deck you feel very attached to. I would, of course, root for him if he does well. I am, I cannot see going to Texas well in Frankfurt, but yeah, if someone does it, why not? What I am curious about when I look at recent Death and Texas list, why there are always two chalice in the board. They look like the opposite of this four-color loam deck, which has four chalice of the void in main deck and then three or two sorts of plosions in the sideboard and just have this awful anti-synergy. The, the thing about the chalice is they are much more versatile than you might think. For example, you can bring in chalice versus all the fast storm decks right now. They play a lot of zero converted mana cost cards. So you have a great turn one play that really restricts their mana usually. And also Bomberman is actually a pretty powerful deck now. So you have the chalice on zero versus them. Then you have the chalice on one for value versus Delver. And, you know, the, the plan was all, always to try to outvalue Delver. Delver is the only deck in the whole format, no matter which Delver deck you take, where I think Devon, Texas has a really decent matchup. And I don't think whether you need more sideboard cards here. Because which I tested when I tested Devon, Texas, and which felt really great, where in these two slots of Chalice of the Void, two Graph Diggers Cage. You can play these turn one, two. You have awesome cards against elves. You have two more cards against storm combo two because it shuts down past in flames or these new flashback time twister card. I don't yeah, know cool, the name. Yeah. And it's quite versatile, I think, because chalice of on zero is, of course, an option. And I give you Bomberman. I give you Bomberman. That's right. Their chalice of zero is, is really great. Do you give me Tess? Tess has had a resurgence because Brian Cook won the, the Legacy Challenge. Yeah, I give you Tess, but I think that's one of these dice roll matchups, I think. Chalice makes it way better, though. And if you want if you want to play really something against fast combo deck, I would probably go for these Mind Break Traps. I registered Mind Break Trap uh, at the last Legacy Challenge. Ah, okay. <laughs> there we go. 
That's something I've been, you know, that's something I've been telling Marius forever. Uh, I always told him, man, you, you just play those mind traps. You have all these amazing two drops that that are really hard for for them to deal with, especially Thalia, which makes it even harder. Just just build yourself a way to get to turn two. So I'm really happy if you guys tell me that you're actually playing that mind trap because I, th- I like like you, I really like Death and Texas, and I wanted to survive at least until turn two, and and then do its Death and Texas thing. Yes, the, <laughs> the problem just is that you usually want. Especially in Dozen Texas, you want your sideboard cards to be effective in a lot of matchups. And Mindwreck Trap is only good versus Storm combo. You can actually use it. It's kind of crazy. I've, I've done that before and actually won me the game um, against Bomberman. It sounds weird, but it, it, it works, actually. Yeah, and nowadays you don't only have... Also Storm, let's say, against Aunt and Tess. You have this Time Walk deck, you have Belcher, you have Oops All Spells, and even against Black Red Reanimate, I think Mind Tracks are a decent card, because you probably only lose to a fast Grizzlebrand, and this you can neutralize turn one with a Mind Break Trap. And the end, Mark played them, right? So that, that has probably something to it. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yes, great. And only one canonist, that's blasphemy. Always play four canonists. You know, Marius is a follower of the Holy Church of Eva's one canonist. And whenever he sees people playing fewer than four, then he, he's like trying to convince, co- convert you. <laughs> Three are okay if you play Mind Break Traps or Chalice. But one canonist always uh, seems really, really So uh, we received some questions me. from our Discord that you can become a member of if you join our Patreon on patreon.com slash everydayjournal. I'm going to order them in a different order than we initially received them. So our first question from the Discord is... What is the right number of Palace Chalers in the 75? Do you board it out versus True Name Nemesis decks? I think the right number of Palace Chaler is 1 or 0. I'm considering cutting it recently, but it's just very good in Mirrors. And it, it's also good versus Maverick and Miracles. But I'm really close to cutting mine. And yes, I bought them out versus all decks that play True Name Nemesis or play a faster board than mine, for example... All Delver decks, even though they don't play true name, I would still bought out Palestella in that matchup. Curious, would you would you side it out against elves? Yes, definitely side it out yeah. versus elves. Yeah, I I feel the same, but I've I've seen many people keep it in, and then you well steal the emblem, and that never works out for them. Never. Yeah, Marius, how do you feel about Palestella? I think Bauer is completely right here. Palestella has become a bit worse, for example, against Miracles, because many different Texas players just say to me, yeah, Palestella, I play it, turn four. I don't even exile something with it, but I just draw the cards. But since the Miracles players got this Narset, and uh, Grixis plays Narsets too, you don't get anything from the Monarch. Probably I would always play one creature exile card in, in the main. Maybe a palace trailer or maybe a banisher priest. Because I think you want to be able to search a removal with recruiter of the guard. Banisher priest might be great even with, with mother of runes. But getting rid of an embracool or grizzlebrand, if you don't have the caracas, it's too durable, just too important not to have it. Not to mention this dark devs token. Thor, you can, of course, uh, flicker it out. But these uh, lists who play two Palace Trailer or even more in sideboards do not look right to me at the moment. So it occupies the slot of a silver bullet that you will dig up just in case. But for basically your mid-range value or, or a way to put pressure on the opponent in a strategic way, you would use other cards. For example, like 
like Marcus using Hellout Spur Keeper, which also is a way to to put like strategic pressure on the opponent because it's a card that eventually will maybe well, I almost want to say take over the game depending on the matchup because it can also be used to put a lot of pressure on planeswalkers because it produces it, it produces flying tokens, right? Hellout Spur Keeper. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it produces flying. Yeah, and uh, of course it's gettable via Recruiter of the Guard. This is, for example, the reason why I hate Palace Trailer in Maverick. I really saw many lists who played it as a one-off in the main deck, but a Palace Trailer, which you draw random and can't tutor for, uh, sounds not great to me. Another, or two other questions that we received. They are directed towards different ways of playing Death and Texas. For example, here's the first one. If the meta shifts away from Death and Texas, does Thalia Stompy become more viable? What are the pros and cons of Thalia Stompy compared to Death and Texas? And we assume um, Scott is referring to the... Mark, how do you call it? Is it Clerics? No, it's actually Adrazi in Texas, right? That's yeah. Soldier Stompy? No, it's probably it's probably Adrazi in Texas, I would think. Ah, with uh, Displacer and stuff like this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, the deck is... It has more early cards. As Mark said previous, having four Chalice of the Void and four Ancient Tombs and I don't think... Mox I don't diamonds. know whether they play Mox Diamonds or Chrome Mox. Depends on the color of the creatures, I guess. You are never a deck that has not the chance to win the tournament. Let's say it this way. The deck is... Less consistent in Death in Texas, but you have more outs against combo, for example. Uh, these decks who, which play four copy of Talias plus four Chalice of the Void plus stuff in the sideboard, perhaps, or might even not, are really great against fast combo. But, of course, worse against stuff like uh, Grixis Control. Yeah, I think the where Thalia, I mean, Russian Texas, where it's better is that it has a better nut draw and it's better versus combo yeah but the thing that texas has is better against counter spells and it has a better grind plan and then of course it's much more consistent so it's a big if if the 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 if the meta shifts away from death and texas i don't think it really did unless people start main digging three plague engineers i don't really see the meta shifting away from death and texas in particular you know what Mark Vogt is, is working on? He's working on the bane of every kind of magic that we like. He's playing a Grixis control list that plays two main deck static caster and two main deck plague engineer. I will I pray that I will never get paired against that deck and But that, why static caster in main? It's so bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> Because he has so much value. Like he doesn't want to post this list yet, which I respect. But he, he's not playing a traditional Grixis control list. He's got much more value, like really big, big endgame value. So he, he told me he's really just looking for a way to get to the end game and all those swarmy creature decks that they are causing a lot of problems for him. I don't think you can get so much endgame with cards like Static Caster, <laughs> uh, which are which are dead in certain matchups. It does not even ping Planeswalker. Uh, Mark is a gr- uh, the other Mark. Mark Vogt is a great player, no uh, no doubt about it. And Plague Engineer in main sounds really reasonable. Even if he does not kill anything, it, it's still 3-mana 2-2 two, two Death Touch, which is okay against nearly every non-fly, non, non-flying creature. But Static Caster in mains... I'm just bringing this up because we were talking about whether there's a push away from Death in Texas or not. And I think people will always keep playing the deck, like we mentioned earlier, just because, first of all, it's super cheap compared to the rest of Legacy. Maybe not super cheap, but it doesn't have any reserved list cards as far as I remember. And it's just so much fun. So I think 
saying that the meta shifts away from death and taxes. Uh, I don't see that happening until until people like Mark mentioned really start hating on the deck main deck a lot. You can make it expensive by adding some fetch lands or duels to it to splash a color. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually the third question that we were getting at, um, which is: Is there ever a correct time to splash in death and taxes? Whether it be green for hate bears, red for Magus of the Moon and sudden demise or black for Dark Confident and Plague Engineer. And I know that both of you have experimented and also done well with splashes. I think, Mark, you pioneered the red splash in Imperial Texas, and Marius played a lot of green and black splashes in Death in Texas. So how do you feel about doing that in general as well as right now? So maybe we'll start with Marius and his experience splashing green and black. Yeah, first of all, it's funny that no one men mentions the blue splash, because you can splash blue, for stuff like Geist of St. Truft or Meddling Mages, who are humans too with Karens, but I don't think there were many lists who had decent success with it. I saw Death in Texas with four Nemesis in main. <laughs> yeah, double blue, but... Geist of St. Truft is not a human. No, 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 no. Uh, Lavinia and Meddling Mage are human. Geist of St. Truft just because it's uh, only one one blue. But I saw lists uh, who played three to four uh, true name Nemesis just to while in and uh, have some unblockable dudes with equipment. That sounds pretty desperate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think the list even won something. How, how do you feel about the, the more common splashes? Okay, for, first of all, the, the green splash. The green splash offers you in main deck stuff like Gadoctique, Knight of the Reliquary, perhaps this new Knight of Autumn, which can be really awesome if you flicker it in and out. But apart from this, in main deck you do not get so much from the green splash especially if you think that you really get a much worse mana base with it the main reason for a green splash is choke in the sideboard perhaps a sylvan library but primary choke choke together with richard and port which can stone rain the enemy islands can really be a blowout for the opponent then for the other splash for the black splash of course, we have we had earlier the Orts of Pontiff in the main or in the sideboard to search for to get rid of true name or goblin tokens or elves, for example. Nowadays, you get Plague Engineer, and this might be, in my opinion, the best uh, option for Death and Texas at the moment. You can play one in the main and perhaps two, one or two more in the sideboard, and can be really ahead in the the mirror since the Plague Engineer is only one-sided. This, this I don't understand. I don't understand why the Plague Engineer has to be one-sided, to be honest. It's supposed to be good, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In German, we, we, we always say it has the Kindersicherung. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> is that something you, you would consider doing? Splashing Black and Death and Texas right now and, and making it work that way? Or, or is it asking too much from the deck? I would probably play Maverick with two Plague Engineers in the sideboard, so... So you would actually splash both. You would splash green and red and call it memory. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, not not, not Aetherwiles. Uh, meanwhile, I hate Aetherwiles, to be honest, because if you don't have them in starting... Eh, that's We talked about this earlier, but in Maverick, I would probably either go with two Mindbreak Traps in the board or do a little Black Splash for Plague Engineers in the sideboard. Okay, okay. And Mark, how, how do you feel about the splashes, both the, the red splash that you've played for quite a while, as well as the, the current other options? Well, since the since the printing of Recruit of the Guard, I don't think a splash is worth it. I think the closest one is black, but what turned out to be the most powerful thing about the red splash was the Imperial Recruiter. 
It gave you a really powerful late game and, and of course, a Tudor effect. But Recruiter of the Guide is way superior since it fetches Flicker Wisp and it lets you stay in one color, which is a, a big plus as well. So I don't think the trade-off in power level versus consistency is worth it for a splash right now, or I don't see it being a thing in the in the foreseeable future. Okay, and, and how about the uh, what Marius mentioned, uh, splashing black, which he seems to quite like? Yeah, I think that's the closest thing you, you can get, but I still don't think it's worth it. Okay, okay. So with that, we're gonna close our segment about Death and Texas, a deck I really hope will at least put a copy into the top eight of MKM Frankfurt, just because I want to continue this discussion, um, it, like the channel community discussion, discussion, because people always mention how, oh my god, Death and Texas, now it's not playable anymore, now there's this new hate, and then the deck still somehow keeps performing and whether it's because of the numbers or because the deck actually is still in a much better position than a lot of people think i i'm just happy that we have a mono white creature deck in one of the most powerful formats ever created and that's just something that that really speaks to me that that's something like people have been trying to do that in modern and modern every like every other week it's broken for another reason and it, it's kind of hard to make stuff like i don't even know blade splicer work but in legacy we, we get to leverage that that kind of incremental creature value and that's just like a play style that i mentioned it's really really cool um With closing out, I, I would like to hear your opinions. Uh, we talked about that. Which decks you think, uh, just like a short round, which decks are in a good position in the metagame right now? Which kind of decks would you like to play right now, Marius? Which deck I would like to play or which decks might be the best? Which decks you think are very well positioned? <sighs> Hard to say, Julian. Hard to say. I think. Or, or decks you want to play as well. I'm not anymore able to play uh, every deck I want because I sold many of my duels to build a house, uh, to buy a house. Yeah, <laughs> That tells you something <laughs> about legacy. Yeah, exactly. It uh, was infinite value. I think really a three of four colored Ren and six deck might be really well positioned for I think that the uh, most optimized list is not yet found. And uh, if you if you just want to win Legacy, just play Sneak Show. Oh, yeah? That's actually a deck we, we haven't really talked about in... Uh, or I don't even see talked about a lot recently. I think Bob used it to top four the Legacy playoffs recently. And I asked him why he played it. And he was just ignore like... Ignore Ren and well, Six. It's, it's Sneak Show. It's ignore fine. Ignore Ren and yeah. Six. Ignore yeah. Plague Engineer. Just play Sneak Show. Two Omniscience main ready to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mark, which kind of decks do you like? Other than Death and Texas, of course. Well, yeah, that's my number one. And then Blue Red Delva and Maverick. That's not decks I would like to play, at least not Blue Red Delva, but I think they are very well positioned. Okay, okay. And for me, um, I really think the Canadian is, has made not only a temporary, but actual comeback, which maybe that's just... That's just my wish for Canadian to be a real good deck in Legacy, speaking out of me, but I, I think it's actually a decent position. I also like Maverick, uh, especially the list that uh, Stefan Schütz, Mental Mistep, recently won the Legacy playoffs with, Splashing Black. And that probably means quite a bit coming out of me, because I've always hated the Black Splash, but Splashing Black for Blake Engineer... Uh, that that card just solves so many issues that Maverick used to have. And yeah, that's something uh, I like. And for now, at least, I also like Oops All Spells, but I don't foresee that deck being good in the long run. But for now, it's it's a deck that has produced quite a bit of value for me on Magic Online recently. So yeah, that that's something I could see going forward. One more thing uh, before we close out the podcast tonight that I want to mention is 
not everybody is aware that there have been a couple of updates to the DCI policy with regards to how issues that arise during the tournaments are handled. And I want to use this opportunity to just make this more well-known inside the community. So there's basically a couple of changes, but the three relevant changes for us are, first of all, with regards to Narset and Leowald, you should really make sure to reach out and stop your opponent from drawing extra cards that they are not supposed to draw. In the past, that was considered a hidden card error, which carried much harsher penalties. For example, um, if it was considered that the opponent didn't do it on purpose, but still accidentally drew the extra card, you got to actually look at their hand and basically thought seize them. You, you could take away any of the cards because that's the only fix they really had available at that point. Now they tried to turn that into something else because they felt that created an incentive for, for the Narset or Leoward player to not remind their opponent about playing the game correctly. So now the way it's handled, it's just a game rule violation, which will still carry a warning and actually a warning for both players if you totally fail to remind your opponent. If you try to stop them, but they still accidentally draw or just rush the game, then it's only a warning for them. And depending on how far the game has progressed at that point, they will have different fixes. And the worst case scenario, when you actually only catch that later, is that they actually get to keep those cards. For example, they play a brainstorm pre-combat, move into combat, there's like interactions in combat going on with like cards played from hand, and you only realize after combat, then they actually get to keep those cards. And if you realize it early on, then they are going to remove two random cards. Well, if it's a brainstorm, right? Actually, three random cards, I would guess, since it's a brainstorm in the main phase from their hand, uh, which still leaves them better off than with the previous fix. So it's very, very much in your interest to remind your opponent to to not draw extra cards for Narset or Leovold. Unless, I guess, if you're out to get the warnings. But like, if your opponent just gets a single warning, that doesn't really get you anything. And I'd much rather... like not have them the basically it, it would create some kind of looting effect almost for them and i don't want them to have that option available to randomly increase their card quality so definitely try to make sure your opponent is not drawing extra cards one more thing is something that people have been doing for quite a while already but now it's also be uh, put into the rules if you're doing a combo turn where you're floating mana over a significant amount of time so not just like for a couple seconds but actually doing like a storm turn or if you're elves and you're going off you're now by the rules by the tournament guidelines required to track that mana visually and there's some discussion of whether like dice are enough or you actually have to write it down because for example with your life total i know that marius <laughs> still famously doesn't write his life total down but um, a lot of people do that and they are supposed to do that on competitive rules enforcement level And there's some discussion on whether you also need to do that with mana. So basically, dice wouldn't even be enough for that. But general for now, just keep in mind that just counting it out audibly, that isn't enough. You actually have to visually represent it. And the third thing is, that's actually the the most interesting fix to me because it rarely ever comes up, but it's actually an interesting situation. Imagine you forgot to de-sideboard in the previous round. And now you come back and you you play the game and after like a couple of turns you draw a sideboard card and you realize, oh fuck. In the past that was usually a game loss for you. Now the way it's going to be handled, you call a judge, they determine, okay, how many of your sideboard cards are in your main deck, which shouldn't be there, and how many of your main deck cards are in your sideboard. For example, the easiest example is you have four Pyroblasts in the main that should be in the sideboard and you have four sorts of Plowshares in the sideboard that should be in the main. At the moment that is discovered, you take those eight cards, you set them aside, and then your opponent gets to decide how they are distributed for the rest of the game. Your opponent can make you keep all four Pyroblasts, your opponent can exchange like two Pyroblasts for two swords, or he can bring in the swords entirely. 
And the card that you just drew where you realized that's also the one that's going to be replaced. That's funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Better than a game loss. Exactly, right? But it wasn't a game loss before, was it? I've, uh, I've yeah, it was. It was. Quite sure. I'm pretty sure. If you call a judge on yourself when you forgot to side decideboard. That's what I did at GP Paris in like 2013. And I was just... I got to sideboard... I like uh, decideboard and then I... I got to take a mulligan. That's the only... Yeah, yeah the, but, but, but what you are saying is when you discovered in the opening hand, then oh, you can yeah, fix yeah. that. Then that, that's, that's why when you're supposed to okay. call a touch on yourself and it's, it's not going to be that big of an issue. But if it's discovered right. inside the game, previously they didn't have a way to actually repair that, so they could only issue a game loss, and now they got this new way of fixing the error, which I think makes it easier for people to call a touch on themselves because I think it's a common thing in not only Legacy but Magic in general that people are like... Oh, I'm just going to hide that. I'm going to pretend. Well, I'm going to finish the, the the game without this, and that's actually reason for grounds for disqualification. If you if yeah. you notice that, so we we at least made it easier for people to call a judge on themselves. And overall, I think it's it's a good change. It's it it will probably not be very relevant most of the time, but when it is, it it could be interesting. It's I want to see it in action. Yeah, me too. So, guys, where can people find you on social media, on the internet, in real life? <laughs> you, you don't need to give me your new addresses. Yeah, in school in Munich. No, no. Uh, on Facebook, just search for Marius Hausmann. No Twitter, no Twitch. No, sorry. <laughs> okay, Mark, where can people find you online? On Twitch, I am under the handle Bara underscore. And on Twitter, I am Barra01. Awesome. And if you want to hit me up, I'm itsjulian23 on Twitter. On Twitch, I'm just itsjulian. You can also check out itsjulian.com. Maybe that's also where you found this podcast. And yeah, that's going to be it for today. I want to provide some shout outs for Sean, Matt, and Baju. Uh, some of them are actually our new Patreons on the Delver and Eternal Witness tier. And of course, also shout outs to Scott and Kurosh who are supporting us on the Grizzlebrand tier, our highest of tiers. And not only you, but all the people on Patreon are really doing a big thing and contributing to making the show work and allowing us to produce the show. So thank you so much for that. And with that, have a great morning, evening, afternoon, night, wherever you are, and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.